Good Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together. Thank you uh, for the weather holding out, even though it's a bit chilly for sure. Thank you for our beautiful surroundings and just for the people that you have brought here together today to worship in your name. I know that we each face challenges in our lives, Lord. We thank you that in spite of those challenges that we can still gather together as a community, Lord. We praise you and we thank you. We praise you for your mercy and your grace and your justice. We praise you because you have created all of this and because in spite of this world and the seeming chaos, your hand is still guiding history, Lord, and we thank you and praise you for that. I ask that you would be with us in our struggles, that you would reveal to us the ways in which we have acted against your desires, Lord, your good law for us. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and in our minds to draw us closer to yourself, to a full realization of the atoning blood of Christ. As for our missionaries serving around the world, that you would protect and keep them, Lord. I pray especially for Con Conlin serving in Ghana, who is doing work with Bible translation and also ministering. I pray that you would be with him, that you would protect him and protect his family, especially as he continues to work on portions of the Old Testament, Lord. I also ask that you would be with individuals that are a part of this congregation that are struggling with various health issues for Carol McKenzie, Olive Coderre, Betty Stone, and others, Lord. I pray for Robin Hudson as she continues to heal. I pray for those in our midst that are grieving the loss of loved ones, Lord, for the Treffery family, for others as well who have experienced loss for Shirley Harriman she grieves the loss of less. And I pray that as a community of faith you would just continue to work through us Lord. It seems that we have a challenging winter coming up and I just pray that you would help us to maintain unity even as we don't all think the exact same thing. I pray that you would Help us to compromise where we should compromise and, and stand firm where we should stand firm. And ultimately, we would stand firm on your gospel. Also pray for this election that only has a few days left. I pray that your will would be done, Lord, as we know it will. And I just pray that, that through this election, that there would be opportunities for our nation to continue to be drawn closer back to you, Lord. I pray that you would be with the individuals running for public office, that you would work in their hearts and minds, and ultimately that they would know you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you all for being here today. There's always a couple of Sundays a year where you get like the New Englander stamp. And so this is one of those Sundays, if you were here physically worshiping outside of this, you get a little New Englander check mark. For those of you working at home, or worshiping at home, excuse me, you'll have to get your check mark another way. I don't know, but we are certainly glad you're joining us 
from home as well. My name is Brent Fugate. I'm the senior pastor here at Byfield Parish Church. For the past uh, five weeks, we have been going through a series on Christians and their relationship with money. This is our final Sunday of that series. And so thank you guys for, for being patient with that. Let's go ahead and dive in. A few weeks ago, the NBA finished its season with the LA Lakers winning their 12th NBA championship. Lakers fans would say it was their 17th championship, which would tie the Celtics. They want to count the titles won when the team was in Minneapolis, which for me seems a little bit like Americans claiming victory for England's, claiming credit for England's victory in the Hundred Years War against France. You don't get to count things that were done prior to when you were there, but in any case, a few weeks ago, before that, the LA Lakers eliminated the Houston Rockets. One of the players on that team, Russell Westbrook, left an $8,000 tip for the hotel staff that had been cleaning his room throughout the playoffs. A little bit of background is necessary here. Due to the coronavirus, all the NBA players were staying on the campus of Disney World in Orlando. Westbrook and his teammates had been living in their hotel rooms for a couple of months. Even still, $8,000 is a very generous tip. I'm sure the cleaning staff were ecstatic. Westbrook was lauded in the media for his generosity. This, of course, led to an online debate, as everything does. Was Westbrook actually that generous? Many said no. After all, this is a guy that got paid $38.51 million for last season alone. $8,000 for someone making that kind of money is the equivalent of someone making $60,000 leaving a tip for, check this out, $12.46. Today, for the final sermon of our series on money, we are going to talk about generosity. Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. We will read through verse 15. It is in these verses that we will hear what Paul has to say to some well-off believers in ancient Corinth about generosity. You can also use the insert in your bulletin if you do not have a Bible with you. Hear the word of the Lord. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. A lot of Jesus' ministry was focused on the heart. He made it clear for actions to be truly good, they need to be properly motivated. Paul and other New Testament authors pick up that idea and run with it. Here, Paul is trying to help the people of Corinth who he, has, who he was encouraging to be generous towards believers in Jerusalem to see what should be happening in their actions and in their hearts. Every person who has experienced God's generosity will be generous. It through the Holy Spirit and Jesus, it is possible for believers to be generous. The more we experience God, the more generous we will be. Through being generous, we are participating in the exponentially increasing richness of God. These verses begin with a statement that sounds ready-made for a Christian t-shirt or wall art from Hobby Lobby. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Many people take this statement as a command with a promise of what God will do for us if we do what he says. <laughs> Scripture is telling us we have an obligation to be generous. It is something we are supposed to add to our Christian to-do list. Read my Bible. Check. Go to church. Check. Don't curse. Check. Give money to the church. Check. The list is endless. All the things on the list are burdens that must be carried. After all, God is the boss. If he says, jump, we are supposed to say, how high? Many people think that if they want to be rewarded by God, they must do what he says. This sort of quid pro quo is especially clear-cut when it comes to financial generosity. After all, Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That means if I am financially generous, as God commands, he will grow my 401k, right? Actions undertaken with this sort of understanding are not generous. They're selfish. Back when I was a nurse, I would often take on extra shifts. I was not motivated by my generous desire to help out the hospital that I worked for or the patients. I wanted overtime. Often I would hold off taking shifts even if they would put me into overtime, I knew if the hospital got desperate enough, they would give me extra bonus incentives for picking up those shifts. The overtime wasn't enough. My attitude was that of a mercenary. Actions that appear generous on the surface aren't if they are selfishly motivated. We 
have all had the experience where somebody tries to give us something that we really want, that we feel compelled to turn down. We turn it down because we know that the gift comes with strings attached. It's not actually a gift. Many people's supposed generosity is actually just an attempt to control God. We all want more money and more wealth. God controls the money and the wealth. If we want him to give more, I have to do what he says. God is not so easily manipulated. When Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, we should not take the statement as a command. It is better understood as a statement of fact. In the verses that follow, Paul goes out of his way to frame how generosity should happen. Generosity should not be a product of compulsion. To please God, generosity should be cheerful. It should result from the overflow of our hearts. We quickly run up against a significant problem in this regard. Our hearts don't naturally overflow in this way. Left to our own devices, our willingness to be generous will be in proportion to the amount we feel we will benefit. Giving that results in a, bountiful, in a bountiful harvest will be giving that comes from a cheerful heart. When my kids were young, like when they were toddlers, they were not cheerful givers. They'd be playing with their little friends. A toy would get grabbed and we would hear one of our little angels cry out, Mom! Sometimes this was followed by the sound of the toy in question being used as a weapon. <laughs> we taught them that they had to share. As they learned to share, they figured out doing so actually makes playtime more fun. Cheerful giving leads to bountiful reaping. Our experience in life will reflect the level of our cheerful generosity, reluctant or compelled generosity, will lead to a lesser return. Those who seek to control others relationally through what they label as generosity will see their efforts backfire. To experience a bountiful harvest, we must have a heart that willingly gives what cheerfully has been decided upon. Generosity is an indication of the extent which God has already worked in the heart of the believer. Not only do we need God to provide us with the financial capacity to be generous, we need Him to provide us with the heart capacity to be generous. We can't make ourselves generous. Our capacity to change our own heart in this way does not exist. Sin has planted selfishness deeply within us. It influences our every thought. We need help to ferret out and fight off our sin. 
on our own, we can make some progress. We just don't have the resources to maintain that progress. Being generous is draining. Without some resource to draw from, we aren't able to maintain it. The ultimate source of generosity, in fact, the only self-sustaining source of generosity, is God himself. He willingly provides us with the capacity we need to be generous. Paul writes, God is able to make all grace abound in you. He brought water out of the rock. He can change your hardened heart. He is generous in making us generous. The thing about God is he is a giver. His love drives him to give without reservation. God acts on the heart of believers so that we may abound in every good work. Generosity is not an obligation God imposes on us so that we can earn more of what we really want. Generosity is a privilege that he wants us to experience. It is deeply satisfying. God is the sufficient source of grace in all things at all times so that you may abound in every good work. The bounty we reap through generosity is partaking in the righteousness of God that endures forever. The benefit we enjoy is that righteousness. Generosity is a response to the gospel. God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. The only thing of God that we have any claim on is his just wrath. From a human perspective, he had nothing to gain from involving himself with human lives. Condemnation is our only reasonable expectation. Through Jesus, God responds to our overwhelming estate, to our helpless estate, with overwhelming generosity. God gave us Jesus, who he valued above all. Jesus gave the most valuable thing he had to give for our benefit. He emptied himself of all but love. There is no greater act of generosity as we wrap our heads around the extent of God's generosity through Christ we become more generous how could this not be the case it is impossible to be miserly while knowing the blessings we enjoy from God a lack of generosity is a certain indication that a person doesn't believe that God has shown them undue favor. The generosity a Christian shows is not limited to one area of life. We will be generous in all the ways Jesus 
was generous with our time, our energy, and forgiveness. For many, money is actually the easiest way to be generous. Sometimes it's easier just to write a check and feel like you've done everything you need to do. Generosity actually enriches us. Paul writes to the Corinthians, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. On its face, it doesn't make much sense. If I give away something, I have less of that thing. Giving you $10 out of the $20 in my wallet leaves me with $10. I don't end up with 30 From a human perspective, generosity leaves me worse off. It may be something I have to do, but it is a sacrifice. Whatever I give will involve a certain amount of duress. This sort of thinking is based on the acknowledgement we have limited resources as people. God's provision changes the map. His generosity is unlimited. Revelation describes God as a perpetual river and light bringing about life. We can be generous because we are not drawing from our own resources, but God's. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Christians are not dependent on their limited resources. We have the unlimited resources of God available to us if we will be faithful. I like to think of Christians as engaging in a reverse pyramid scheme. In a normal pyramid scheme, there is some product that is being sold. The product varies. It could be vacation packages or Tupperware or makeup or something else. What is being sold is in many ways secondary to the pyramid structure of the enterprise. Those in the higher levels of the pyramid recruit others below them. These lower levels feed resources up through the pyramid. Only those in the upper levels make money, while those working hard to sell the product are normally impoverished. The reverse pyramid scheme of Christianity has God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit sitting at the top of the pyramid. They work through humanity to distribute their love. The lower levels of the pyramid are how they do so. The difference between a normal pyramid scheme and the divine pyramid is that in the normal pyramid scheme, the money flows up from the bottom to the top. In the divine scheme, resources flow from the top to the bottom. To benefit 
in a normal pyramid scheme, you have to find others that will work under you for your benefit. In the divine scheme, if you want to experience the max benefit, you must find opportunities for generosity so that you can receive more generosity from above. Another difference is that unlike human pyramids that inevitably die out when those on the lower levels have been sucked dry, the divine pyramid never dies out. You cannot suck God's generosity dry. The question that we are left with as Christians is how is God working in our hearts through the Holy Spirit? In what ways are we called to be generous with our time, with our forgiveness, with our finances? We experience the full benefits of our faith through generosity. Paul gave the Corinthian believers some pretty straightforward advice that we should follow as well. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Every follower of Christ needs to inspect their own hearts. Russell Westbrook, the NBA player, was asked about the $8,000 tip he left by a reporter when it became public what he had done. Westbrook, talking about the cleaning staff, said, quote, they took great care of us, took the time and energy to do their job at a high level. That was the right thing. I like to do the right thing. I doubt he knows it, but he is actually doing what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Westbrook was generous in the way he felt was right. Was it enough? Should he have given more? I don't know. Honestly, I could make the case either way. Ultimately, what Russell Westbrook does with his money is none of my business. Neither is it anybody else's. We often approach questions of generosity from a limited human grasp of the meager resources available to us. We need to see ourselves as a conduit for God's generosity. He has plenty to give. He wants to give through us, his people. Much like Westbrook can be generous, because he is incredibly rich, we can be generous with the resources God has given us. We can cheerfully give our time, talents, and money, because we are giving away what ultimately belongs to God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We will be enriched through being generous on God's behalf. The point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that every person here would be challenged by your spirit in their hearts, that we would be cheerful givers. That we would not give under a sense of compulsion, but that we would give because we have been blessed by you. Not even focusing on anything that happens here or, or through this church, just in our lives, Lord, let us be generous. Let us change the world through generosity, through extending your love in our relationships and the way that we do everything. Your resources are infinite. We so often focus on what we are capable of giving. I pray that our focus would instead be on what you have given us the opportunity to give because you have made it possible through Jesus Christ, your son. I thank you and I praise you that you allow us to be a part of your divine scheme. I pray that we would live it out in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.